Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Frame and Sequence podcast. My name is Todd Rittendero, and in this episode, I sit down with Otter Thorson. Otter is a Torino-based photographer, writer, art director, gourmet, and lover of champagne, dogs, and especially his wife Mimi. I've admired Otter's work for a very long time and had the pleasure of sitting down with him over lunch and champagne in Torino this last January. We talk about all things photography and how he approaches his work. We talk about how he collaborates with his wife Mimi on her various cookbooks and blog, how he approaches teaching photography. He also shares some thoughts on leading an aesthetic life, writing, some champagne recommendations, and of course his love of food, wine, and much, much more. This episode was a real treat for me, and I hope you enjoy the ambiance of the restaurant that we were in, as well as the conversation. I highly recommend pouring yourself a glass of champagne or mixing your favorite cocktail to go along with it. I hope you enjoy. But I think that actually having some noises and having the food brought over could be fun. I think so. It's very me. Yeah. It's always more, food is more important to me than photography. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Nothing like starting a podcast with a pouring of champagne. <laughs> yes. Grazie. Cheers. Thanks for doing this. Cheers oh, to you. My pleasure. It wouldn't be fitting if we did not have champagne in front of us. It would be more painful. <laughs> There's a lot I'd, I would love to ask you. I, I first found you through your photography and through Mimi's gorgeous cookbooks, which you shot all of and including this new Italian one that's coming out. Um, but you actually started off as a creative director, right? Yes. And also, thank you for finding me. Yes. <laughs> Without that, I would be lost. <laughs> People want to be fun. <laughs> exactly. Um, yes, yes. I, 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 I didn't even start out as that. I started out as a law student. Oh. Uh, and then I realized that my idea of becoming a lawyer was actually not about law. It was about what the lifestyle of a lawyer, the suits they wear, the office they go to, the lunches, especially the lunches. <laughs> And, uh, and then I had a wake-up call that there was more to it. Right. And then I needed to find a more aesthetic, um, aesthetic outlet for my, for my life's aspirations. And then I, then I uh, studied a bit of literature, uh, went into journalism, worked in a magazine, became an editor of a very small, I mean, a big magazine in Iceland, but still very small. Right. And, and then I landed in advertising as an, as an art director. Oh, okay founded my own creative little kind of boutique agency, worked briefly abroad, came back, mainly for family reasons, and, and started taking pictures because I wanted to, because I, I was fascinated by photography, always have, have been very interested in magazines, and, and it was a process that kind of happened very organically. Right. In my family, uh, my, my parents are, are academically educated lawyer, economist, so whenever I brought up the subject of something artistic that was always received with something like that's really a good hobby to have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I wasn't you know that I wasn't pushed anyway it was just doesn't really feel like that was ever a, a career option so that happened very organically yeah yes I know that at some point you started shooting for magazines as well was that yeah but what happened is that uh, I was more on the graphic design and art direction and creative design. Oh, okay. Uh, and then uh, taking a few campaigns here and there when I felt it was artistically interesting or if I needed the money, maybe. Yeah. And uh, and then I, I met met my wife, Mimi, mm-hmm. in Paris one night in Paris, which is a very sleazy story. We <laughs> not put that in here. <laughs> but I immediately was uh, was uh, I just quit my job and I went to Paris and, and it was easier to be a freelance photographer than a freelance art director. 
Right. So I, I started taking more pictures and, and taking more assignments that way. And it worked out very well for a while. Also, a lot of Icelandic clients in those days, which is when they had the fake kind of Icelandic boom. The budgets were American, <laughs> <laughs> but the money probably was all borrowed from somewhere. <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then one thing led to another. You know, we, we moved to the countryside. We started doing more, uh, more, more lifestyle and food based things because of Mimi's interests, right. Mimi's blog, cookbooks. And I started doing more. I had always been very interested in travel. I always shot a lot of travel for, for clients because I realized that I wasn't interested in staged photos. Mm. Yeah. It's, there's nothing more boring in advertising than you know, right. finding a guy who's a father and the mother and they, they have to be very happy having cornflakes or <laughs> you know, makeup. Or, you know, it's not something you can believe in and not something that you're interested in. Right. Here comes our antipasti. So, um, that should probably be a picture too. We should document the Right. No, I'm shooting this. Wow, that is really good. Very good. Um, where was I? No, so you um, were talking about how you don't like stage photos. You much prefer Yeah, travel. yeah. I, it just didn't feel anything interesting. It felt uh, beautiful to travel. Tra what is travel photography? Travel photography is a bit of everything. Right. It's a, it's a chance to discover a new place. It's trying to find the essence of that place, the aesthetic answer, some, something that's more, that's interesting to people, but also appeals to my aesthetics, you know. I, I admit that I was, was pleasing myself first. I wasn't thinking this would be interesting for the reader. It was just that they, I find that beautiful. That's right. what I'm going to shoot, uh, regardless of the brief. And, um, but it's always, it always became about, uh, every city is a little bit similar. It's mm -hmm. got the kind of the the more residential bourgeois area with the finer stores, then it's got the, what used to be the, the kind of avant-garde area, but now that's become gentrified with right. also some cool cafes and bars. And then there's the, the actual now hip area, which is a bit run down. So it's always <laughs> like that, every city. Yeah. And so it's about, you know, kind of finding a way to tell that story through the most interesting, best dressed people and best dressed not necessarily the finest or the, the most expensive, but the, mo the most interesting looking characters, the most photogenic restaurants, a bit of food, a little bit of emotion. Right. Maybe, you know, luck comes into it. Uh, I was once in Amsterdam having to shoot a story on Amsterdam and I landed. It was pouring. It was four o'clock and my flight out was in, in the morning, following morning at five o'clock. Wow. So I had four hours. So I was there with a film with an M6 in a in a paper bag, <laughs> trying to shoot, get something, and, and there's a bit of adrenaline involved because you feel like, you know, now I have about one or two hours of light, right. and nothing good, and then you start getting desperate, shooting <laughs> tulips at least, <laughs> having some tulips, exactly. some herring, uh, and then maybe, you know, if you're lucky, you, you, you know, see a man with a hat and like a boat behind him, and you feel like, at least if I have that shot, I'm right. good. Now I can start filling in with other stuff, maybe you get another break, right. but that's very fun. So it's, a, it's kind of like um, you're up to a point, you're a master of your own fate, and up to a point, it's, it's up to luck to give you something. Right. But sure. there's a lot of footwork involved. No, absolutely. I mean, I also feel like your photography is, has a very distinct set of aesthetics. Was, were your set of aesthetics something that you've always just sort of naturally came out of your interests, or that you've sought out and refined? in terms of even, even the way you dress or shoot or the things you decide to interact with? It was never thought out, you know. I think uh, 
uh, I, I really do appreciate dogs. Mm -hmm. And one thing I like about them is they don't think a lot. Right. They don't have a lot of hopes and aspirations. <laughs> they just act on instinct. That is true. And um, I think it's more that. You know, I think I, I don't wake up in a city thinking I want to try to find a guy in a navy blue pinstripe suit with a cigar. If he's there, that's great. Right. But if there's a, something else, it could be a child, it could be a guy on a bicycle, uh, it could be some weird... It could be anything. So no, it's more about having the tools and, and that's called experience, I think. Yeah. The more you shoot, in the end, you're always, when you've shot for a while, it becomes a little bit repetitive because you're often shooting the same picture again and again right. with different cast. Yeah. It's like staging <laughs> a play true. that's already been performed many times, but right. you, you put a little bit into it every time. Yeah. I mean, those. Um you had recently posted some pictures on Instagram from your deep archives of when you lived in Paris, and they were so distinctly yours, and I love them, and they had this real timeless quality to them, but also a certain... Not so distinctively mine, because they were so bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> no, like I, think, <laughs> I think in terms of, like, maybe you have a very specific way of compos approaching composition, or even, even slightly some of the angles maybe you choose. Um, I don't know, it's just, it's just it has a real timeless... <laughs> filmic quality even well maybe maybe you know I, I, I'm quite selective about what I would shoot mm -hmm. I wouldn't shoot something if I didn't if I didn't like it so yes so my taste definitely comes into it right and I think I, I also probably another thing I do is I, I've realized that's not on purpose but I shoot everything straight on oh. almost I, I, I mean there are exceptions mm -hmm. but I have a very strong inclination to shoot things straight on so I've always thought that often when, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to teach a few photography classes and um, sometimes people think that taking a really good photo means that you have to have some weird angle to it. Right. And I don't necessarily see it as that. You know, I think photography is, for me anyway, it's different things to different people, but for me it's definitely about light, that's for sure, mm -hmm. and about what's in front of you. And then maybe how you approach what's in front of you, or how, maybe how you manipulate it. I, I think you have different types of photography. I'm very manip I mean, I'm very bossy. Right. If I'm on set, <laughs> you know, when I've shot my friend Matt Hranek, uh, who's a photographer as well, he always gets a bit kind of startled. He's like, would you be like that, like if you were shooting Clint Eastwood or George Clooney? <laughs> would you talk like that to them? And I probably would. <laughs> right. Because I, I have to. Because I just have to get uh, other people sit and wait more. Right. And I'm more just, you know, I think it comes from working a lot with children and dogs. <laughs> you can't wait for them to do what you want. They will never do what you want. You have to, uh, have to make it happen. So that's one thing. But I think, yeah, I lost the thread there maybe. It's no, a, no, it's I think... The food. No, yeah. No, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the way that you see. And uh, I guess, yeah, now that you say you shoot it head on, that's interesting. I wonder if that comes partly from your art director background as well, because sometimes maybe that's a more graphic Yes, it's definitely that. Yeah. That's a good point. And it's uh, very insightful of you, Todd, to... to uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that, but it's a Hannibal Lecter kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's probably that. It's two-dimensional. Right. I just feel it that way a little bit. That's why, I mean, I do love paintings, and I, I love realist paintings. Sometimes people say, uh, when you put something, say, on Instagram, that's just like a painting. I mean, they don't say that's just about my pictures. They say about that about a lot of stuff. I don't know. It's one, it's one kind of social media way of, I suppose, complimenting someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although paintings can be very ugly, <laughs> terrible. Right. 
but uh, I think it's it's the two-dimensional quality yeah. that I I like I like to um, yeah. So I limit myself a little bit, and I limit myself very much with equipment. I never go for the best equipment in in a sense that it's never about the equipment. When I was working living in Iceland, I'd go to this camera store. They would, and there are guys who work in the camera store. They have more equipment than anybody could ever have because that's their hobby. Right. But that's about the gear. And then they want to take a picture that looks like the picture in the Leica catalog or the Canon catalog that uses to the maximum the, uh, the abilities of the, uh, the the latest feature right. is on full usage. And I don't and I don't even know how to use the latest feature. <laughs> I mean, I just shot with a film cameras as long as I could. And I went to a, a Canon EOS 5D, which I think is a great camera mm-hmm. still. And I never really updated it until it was starting to just not work anymore. Right. And then now I have the Leica M10 because it's a bit of a nostalgia going back to that. Sure. And I never felt the Leica had good enough files mm-hmm. until now. Oh, wow. Yeah. They had a beautiful, uh, they, they always had the amazing cameras. And then things went digital and they were a bit behind. Right. And people, I, I considered buying a few of them, but just saw the files and I felt the Canon was just better. Wow. But I, th- I think that now the M9, especially the M10, they've kind of caught up there yeah. while making the most beautiful objects which are very different to use. Right. They yeah. go better with a linen suit than a Canon 5D. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, is there a lens length that you're naturally drawn to? Uh, when I use the Leica, I, use, I used to have three film Leicas uh, and I had a 28, 35 and a 50. Mm. And I never changed. I just took one of them, mm-hmm. and that's what I used. Now I have an M10, and I use it with a 28. Oh, nice. It's the only lens I have. And I like it that way because that limits me. Right. I can move around. You know, I'm mobile. Right. <laughs> I'm not just sitting in one place. <laughs> uh, and the Canon, I, I've used a lot, which is a very versatile, the 2470. Sure. But uh, the 50, I also use a lot. I like going out with the 50, mm-hmm. and it's more difficult to do something dramatic with it because it's so brutally honest. <laughs> it just is what it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> 28 is a bit cheating. You can like, you know, you can sit in a cafe and you could sit in the corner here with a glass of wine and just, just because of the Leica with the 28, sure. it will already look a little bit more cinematic, you know, a little bit more kind of storytelling. It's really interesting you say that, especially um, there's a lot of uh, cinematographers in Los Angeles who I am lucky enough to be friends with and have interviewed and they all love a 28. Yeah, just because I think that that is the more sort of the way a cinematographer sees and it is more cinematic to your point in a way that it I don't know it does something to the field of view yes yeah you're a big Irving Penn fan as well Um, were there any other photographers early on that influenced you or did you have a specific mentor no I I I didn't have that but I did have um, a great interest in magazines Mm. And, you know, like any young people, you know, I went through the whole going abroad, buying all the kind of latest Dutch, Belgian, <laughs> mag- anything that was out there, you know, sheet printed, something very, like, small circulation. Uh, but I, when I kind of matured a bit, I was more drawn to just the classic, classic stuff, even American Vogue. Right. I really appreciated the last days of of Irving Penn when he was still shooting for American Vogue mm-hmm. and he would still shoot the occasional portrait or a still life to go with a food article which was usually written by Jeffrey Steingarten who was a great food writer right. so I thought that was really I thought that was that was uh, yeah probably the most 
uh, impressive because if you see Irving Penn, you know, you know him from his still lives mm -hmm. and portraits. Fashion, I was always less interested in, but he did it very well. But then he has done some incredible travel stories that have been much less published that are definitely some of the best. Then you really see how good he was. Wow. Because, you know, he did some incredible travel stories and you thought, uh, wow. Of course, he was helped by the fact that, you know, like it's very difficult now if you're in Sicily to find a hundred women in black, you know, doing laundry. Because <laughs> now they would be like have a Heineken logo on the back of the <laughs> yeah, exactly. But nevertheless, you know, so for he, I am not, I don't have a lot of idols. Yeah. But uh, he would, he, he, he was a master. I'm not I mean, familiar with too much of his travel work. No, there was, maybe it wasn't that much, but he did some, because when you look at all the books that have been published, both recently and before, they, yeah. they, they are very often a repetition of the same images. Right. Come you know, like there's like 60% the same and then a little bit more of that, a bit different. Then you have, you know, he did the flowers and the, the still lives and all that. Right. But there's a whole other side to him. You're any very good photographer, uh, you know, catches the eye. Right. But, the, but maybe more because we're talking about cinema. Maybe there's more frames in a movie that can be equally aspiring, inspiring uh, to a photographer than, than some, some other photography. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a big cinephile as well, right? Or yes, so yes. Le less now. Maybe because, you know, I've le I don't know if I have less time or it's a pop. I think it happens when you grow older. My wife doesn't like me saying grow older because, <laughs> you know, but it happens to everyone. And... Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit less interested because I uh, find myself more interested in real things. The right. guy sitting in a cafe yeah. rather than the guy sitting in a cafe in a movie. Totally. But, it, you know, if the movie's very good, it's, it can be very good. Mm. It's nice for you to have something that's not 100% meat mm -hmm. in the city of meat because this is not really a Torino. Right. Maybe it's a good thing. I needed a break from some annual latte, which I've been eating. Like. <laughs> so, uh, however, I, I think what's nice is actually to include the food. You know, there are these. I think it's fun because I think people I don't know about your audience, but I know that you know, like that that that, that uh, TV show, The Trip, mm -hmm. you know, with Steve Coogan, yeah. where they're like talking all the time, but they still are like, hmm, ah, the codfish, <laughs> or you know, the you know, the Financial Times always is like lunch with the FT. And it's just, it's a political interview, but they still say like what they had right. and how much it cost, yeah. you know, like <laughs> glass of champagne. Yeah, completely. <laughs> and you, you, it tells you a bit about people, like people who ordered like a cappuccino and then like a, like, um, you know, like a white egg white omelette. Right. When they could have had like lobster and champagne, <laughs> they're retarded. <laughs> <laughs> you can learn a lot about, no, for sure. Oh, we went yesterday to, uh, what's the other cafe that you recommended? Um, it's sort of deeper past the train station. Um, yeah, Plati. Plati. Yeah, and I saw had, pictures of that. Yeah, we had there. champagne. That was nice. Yeah, yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, that was fun. Did but you have to go for lunch? Or? No, we, uh, just the champagne and yeah, a yeah, mini sandwich. They had lunch too, and it's not the best lunch you'll ever have. Right. Because it's... It, uh, it didn't look great. No, but it is still but it looks it's fun. still fun. Yeah. You know, it's fun to go. And also the little sandwiches. And you can order from the kitchen, like a tomato pasta... It's that kind of a place. I love that. Yeah, no, I, de I, had, uh, I had a few of the little sandwiches. Yeah, tramezzini. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So good. Yeah, 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 and then there was a table of businessmen next to us at 11.30 who just ordered a round of Negroni and Aperol <laughs> Spritz. I'm like, oh, I love this town. Mm. I belong here. So spe speaking of like food and stuff, I'd love to just ask you about how you work so closely with your wife Mimi on her cookbooks and the Manger blog and, and all that sort of stuff. How do you guys approach 
storytelling within a book because one of the things that I love about the cookbooks is that they are also storybooks, which I think make really elevates them above a normal cookbook. And I'd love to know what your thought process is or how Could you collaborate. Could you type all that down and send it to our editor? <laughs> <laughs> you can send them this. <laughs> True, I'll send them the link. Yes. No, but yes, I will. Uh, I do transcri- I'm going to do transcriptions in the new year, so I will send this part and send it over. But okay. I think that's what makes the book special, honestly. It's, uh, yes, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite, um, it's quite an uh, interesting process to find the balance because at the same you know you have to think it's a cookbook right. first and foremost if it's a cookbook it's it's a it's a recipe book with photographs it's not a photography book with recipes right so i have to be <laughs> mindful of that right. you, know, you can't get too egotistical it means that you have only so much uh, space for other photographs than the food because if a book is 300 pages and there's 100 recipes uh, then 200 are gone for a recipe right and then photograph of, of, of the recipe and even more because uh, sometimes the recipe is longer right so uh, and then there's the text and all that so actually now we're putting the final touches on the Italian cookbook that right. we've been working on for two years which is that. very very interesting and uh, we're actually at the stage now where we feel that the storytelling is, is suffering a little bit mm. and we feel we need to maybe cut a few recipes even if it goes a little bit against the spirit of things because I think when somebody gets a cookbook, whether it's a hundred recipes or ninety, it's not going to make all the difference. What makes the difference is: is it the cookbook that you want to buy? Right. Is it something that interests you? And some of the recipes that I still cook are recipes that I picked up myself. Often, you know, when I was living alone or, or later, could be in a magazine, but it was usually linked to a story. Right. You know, if you want to cook carbonara, you just Google carbonara. It will be a lot of versions of that. Sure. But. It's about getting, I think, a carbonara with a story. And then also maybe with the validation that if you trust that author, mm-hmm. that the carbonara will be good, as, as will all the other recipes. For sure. But they will also give you a little bit more than just the recipe. You know, how many eggs. Right. It will be also how, you know, a bit background maybe on, on the dish or a personal kind of a connection that the author has to the dish. Yeah. Yes. So it's 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 about you know having sp- space. We have no problem creating content, right? And we have no problems telling stories, but we have limited space in the cookbooks, right? Do you ha- do you have any guidelines for what pictures you decide to include? Well, or maybe I'll ask it a different <laughs> way. In terms of like telling a story in one image, I feel like is a, a great skill to match what you're doing. Do you have a specific approach? For that idea? But I don't know if there's a, uh, an approach. It comes naturally. You know, I, I, I think I see stories in everything. Mm-hmm. And Mimi is also like that. She's very kind of vivid imagination. So we're good together in that. Before. Now we're about to have our premi. Do you I'm have the, um, the Chardonnay from uh, Liguria? No, from Puglia? Uh, si, Salento. Si, si, si. si. Okay, okay. Uh, one uh, glass. Do it. Do it. When we shoot the book, we obviously have to shoot the recipe. You know, the, so there's a, there's, a, there's a kind of a grid that you have to follow in the sense that right. there has to be a certain amount of recipes. So Mimi is more in charge of that, like ch- selecting what she wants to include in the book. I will have some suggestions and most of those will not make it because it's something she doesn't like. <laughs> <laughs> and those I really want, I will fight for. So, you know, that's, that's one thing. When the recipe list is clear, she will 
but that is also a work in process because some of the recipes happen later. You could be traveling, oh, yeah, and sure. she goes to a um, she goes to a nice uh, you know restaurant, and she gets intrigued by something, starts talking to the chef, or we're traveling and we meet some people, family. But mostly, it's about nailing down the recipes and shooting the food. But right. then around it happens things. You know, in this book, that's it. Uh, in this book, there is a um, sorry, important moment. This process of of kind of getting all the recipes together, and then what happens is in this book is we have these um, contributors. For instance, oh. Consortio, the restaurant we went to on yeah. Saturday, on Saturday, uh, they're sharing a recipe. So we shot a little bit more than just we went there and Mimi was with them and they were cooking the recipe, and then we shot, of course, the recipe there, but also the guys were having lunch before we came so we want to try to include as much as that material right so but we always have too much so it becomes more a question of what not to have yeah. and then it's a bit of a tug of war because then of course I will have my favorites and I want that picture in and but sometimes those are not deemed uh, you know the most yeah. marketable <laughs> stuff <laughs> <laughs> for sure uh, no but they're, they're, they're great to work with Clarence and Potter and they let us more or less have our way as long as it doesn't conflict too much with their way. Right. Try the wine. Oh, sure. Tell your listeners how you like the wine. So, Puglia is not very famous for wine, in general, but I thought the Chardonnay is quite nice. Oh yeah, that's really nice. Very, very fitting with the food. Yeah, no, lovely. No, obviously, uh, food and wine is such a huge part of your life and aesthetic. What first drew you into exploring wine, other than, you know, it's wine? <laughs> well, that was that. Yeah. <laughs> done. <laughs> but wine. No, it's it's um oh it's a it's a it's a multi layered right. thing, really. But uh I was not into wine first because you know you can get drunk from it. Which was unusual I think, but it was just somehow not my character. But I was very interested in food and aesthetics. Moved out when I was about twenty to a little flat, spent all my savings on you know, laying some marble floors there, which my father thought was the stupidest idea. <laughs> it was the stupidest idea because I had no money left. But uh, but anyway, I started. Mm. Oh wow! This is delicious. I'll take a picture of that as well. This is what the food photography sounds like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you are now listening to Otter photographing our delicious bowls of seafood pasta. And what is your yours? Is a soup? Yes, it's a seafood soup with little pastas inside. Look up here. Look a bit more handsome. <laughs> a little, little bit more. <laughs> well, I, I've maxed out his hands. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this looks yeah. incredible. I, I mean, I, lo- I just love it, the fact that you laid marble floors in your park. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, but then I started cooking, you know, and it right. was really, truly, you know, night. I mean, maybe a little bit later, but it's kind of at the time when cooking shows became interesting for younger audience, oh, yeah, like Naked sure. Chef, Jamie Oliver, Nigella, and uh, and I was just there, like, I don't know, 24, 5 years old or whatever, you know, cooking, you know, a deconstructed pesto, I remember that recipe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does not include a food processor or a mortal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's very really easy, just throw it in. Yeah. Anyway, and then you start selecting wine to go with the food. Iceland in those days had, had much more Italian wine available and it you know was Italian recipes anyway so that was my first love mm. Italian wine and then you know I had friends and we'd meet and we'd 
we do dinners and, and select wines to go with it and then uh, I moved to no always very into Italian wine mm-hmm. but when I moved to Paris in my 30s I shifted naturally to French wine and we drank a lot of Burgundy mm-hmm. living in Paris for six years and we worked on a, on a food guide of, of, uh, of the city. So oh, we really? were always going to restaurants. Yeah, it was never public. It was a project we had. Oh, wow. But it, it, it didn't actually come off, but it was a great experience. So we were in a new restaurant every day, in a new kitchen, interviewing a new chef, shooting food. Oh, my God. What, drinking new wine. Do you think that'll ever see the light of day? That was the pictures you saw that you were talking oh, about. Oh, really? Earlier. That was from wow. that. Yeah, no, 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 it won't. It was just a, it was a great learning experience. And then, we, and then we um, moved to the countryside. We happened to move to wine country, Medoc, Bordeaux. Right. So that's what, you know, the next eight years of my life were dedicated to drinking uh, Bordeaux. Right. And that's what I realized that Bordeaux wine is best drunk very old. Right. <laughs> that's just how it is. Right. Which is why it's getting us some negative negativity now because people feel it's very expensive and it's quite bold and tannic, but it's, it's actually because it's just has to keep kept longer right it's not ready right yeah so uh, but that's another that's a wine pointer so it's been a, a process just like anything else yeah and uh, and now I'm living in Italy and obviously in wine region Piemonte Barolo all the famous wines right uh, so reuniting with my first love <laughs> for sure and, and also uh, I've been shooting a wine book in this past year this is the sound of a dog trying to get past them. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's very successful. Mm. How do you like yours? Oh, it's fantastic. Do you want some? No, no, no. I'm good. I, I, I've had it. No, this is absolutely fantastic. Mm. How's that soup? Amazing. Looks you should good. try that, though. You haven't, I'm sure you haven't had that. This is mm. soup. Wow. Uh, both oh, of wow. the dishes for your uh, listeners are um, tomato-based. Lots of fish. And the soup can be eaten with a fork. That will give you a lot of information about the soup. It's sort of a pasta dish right. that yeah. they call a soup. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> so is your approach to this wine book different than you would shoot for one of Mimi's? Mm. Yes, it is. We just, a little bit coming back to the Heineken, you know, t-shirts. If you'd shot a wine book in Italy 50 years ago, first of all, there the would have been less, very different style of winemaking. Right. They weren't making wine in the same serious way as they're now. In those days, wine was more for the table, mm-hmm. mostly. They, of course, they had some wines in Tuscany and, and uh, Piemonte, but that was a bit more serious. But it was, it's been a revolution in Italian wine in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. So now you have very serious winemakers, a lot of them young, uh, who are making very beautiful wines and with a lot of different types of indigenous grapes wow. specific to the region. However, they're not wearing as much tweed and, you know, wool and <laughs> wool caps and moustaches as they used to, you know, when they made the right. simpler wine. So uh, the wine is better, but the photos are more tricky. <laughs> and we decided to embrace that. And we decided to not try to fake it in any way. Like, so when I, if I, t- I, I was ex- describing this to someone, there's a book in the, that might not end up in the book, but I submitted it to the, the wine book. Joe Campanale um, is the author. He has a restaurants in New York right. very good guy and we decided to shoot in such a way that there's a picture of tomatoes that have been plucked mm-hmm. and they're being washed and above and there's a, like a decent kind of a 
uh, sink something mm -hmm. and um, a wall and on the wall there's hanging a plastic kind of baby blue basin that I would always have removed if it was right. Mimi's book <laughs> we put a copper pot or just left it open for sure but we left it you know with even with the hose coming down because we felt this would be a reality book you know right the, of the now of yes. the, what's happening if yeah. somebody was wearing a Heineken t-shirt that ask them to you know take right. it off <laughs> because it's not in the spirit of thing but that's the only thing I would do you know so we're not asking people to go home and change put on a white shirt and roll their sleeves or we're trying to keep it very Oh, that's really trying to find kind of the essence but in, in Mimi's book I would uh, I mean it is all very real as well but I would be more mindful because I can't choose the winemakers I'm not right. choosing them they've right. chosen, chosen for, for me in, in Mimi's book if we were visiting a place we'd probably visit a more photogenic place right this is how it is so at this point do you have a favorite varietal of grape mm -hmm. yes but not at this point since I, uh, I started drinking wine <laughs> Nebbiolo mm. I mean that's uh, that's the the grape of Piemonte. That's what right. they put into all the best wines. Uh, I mean, you can't say that. Maybe there are people who like other grapes, but the big wines of Piemonte are made out of Nebbiolo, Barbaresco, Barolo. These are Nebbiolo grapes, but they make very very good um, wine from Nebbiolo. Also in Alto Piemonte, Upper Piemonte, mm -hmm. which is north of Torino, they make very very good uh, in Valtellina, which is north of Lecomo in Lombardia. Right. So, all the same grape, kind of very different expressions, but absolutely my favorite grape. Yeah. We play this game, if you, I mean, everybody plays this game. If you'd go to a desert island, what wine would you take? Um, and you can, you know, wa water and coffee is a given, but you can take three <laughs> types of wine, but you have to narrow it down a bit, not specifically down to producer, but the style and type of wine. So, yeah. I usually say, I mean, I always say, Champagne from a good vintage, maybe aged kind of eight to twelve years, mm -hmm. still fresh but with a bit of maturity. Then about the ten-year-old Nebbiolo could be a really good Barolo from a good crew, from a good year, of course. Ten, ten, twelve, not necessarily more. And then a thirty-year-old plus Bordeaux from a great vintage. That's what I would take. Nice. Another person played this game and and she said she would take coffee and I said the coffee is already given but she said I like coffee so much <laughs> I'm still gonna put that on the list <laughs> and then the other two entries were Sprite and and beer uh, that was the worst entry we've had <laughs> 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 but then you know to each his own let's say it's a Wednesday night you're gonna make something simple maybe even just a little antipasti cheese some meat. I never make anything simple. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> let's say you're going to do it in an elaborate way. I'm kidding. I'm right. Kidding. Yeah, no. <laughs> What's your favorite champagne? Just to, mm. do, you have, do you have a favorite producer, favorite bottle you could recommend? Well, it's actually kind of a, a multi-layered question because if I was making something simple, yes, you have to go back to thinking, when do you drink the good wines? Do you drink it on your birthday or on special occasions, or do you drink it when you make the best, finest food? Um, there's a wine buyer who says he drinks the best wine with the simple food, so the wine can shine. And when he drinks really elaborate, special food, he drinks good wine, but not necessarily the one that oh. requires most attention. That's one way to think. Right. I tend to go with the flow, like what I have, what I'm in the mood for, what I'm excited to try. I have a producer that I really like. I have some, there are many very good champagne producers. And very, right. actually, 
almost very very few that are, are, are bad. I mean, you know, champagne is just very good stuff. Right. In general. <laughs> <laughs> and usually <laughs> rather well made. But uh, I like, I, I have a fondness for Drapier, which is a champagne house yeah. that's kind of medium-sized. They, they're very interesting, have very interesting bottles. We drink a lot of their Brut Nature, which is a zero dosage with a... And, and the, the one that has no sulfur added. That's a very interesting champagne. Right. Uh, I like Eglirier, mm. which is a great great house. Ulysse Collin, mm -hmm. another very good house. David Leclaparte, another good house. But they're all very good. You know, right. if somebody gives me a Cristal or Dom Perignon, it's also very good. <laughs> <laughs> Boulanger sure. is a very good, out of the kind of classic houses, Boulanger is great. Great. Yeah. Paul Roger is a very good house with the, the Cuvée Vincent Churchill. Mm, right. From a good year, 99 is amazing. Nice. Uh, expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Not maybe for that Wednesday night you were talking right, about. Right, <laughs> but still, good to know. Good, good to know for the archives. So one of the other things I'd love to ask you about is uh, you do a lot of the f food and wine workshops, but you also do a photography workshop, which uh, I have yet to do. But um, I'm, I'm super curious. Yeah, I've seen from your work that you definitely haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> need to get one on the book. Um, <laughs> but uh, how, do you, how do you think about approaching photography in terms of teaching it? Do you, do you go by each individual, or do you have a broad sort of idea that's formed from teaching? Well, I, I'm probably not a teacher of photography, but I think, you know, anybody can try to convey some information and, and, you know, like give helpful pointers. It could be in so many different shapes and forms. We always have classes that, or workshops that, you know, some people come for a workshop that's photography, but they don't even have any interest in photography because they just wanted to come on that day. Right. So that's one thing. But, you know, most people obviously are interested in photography and they are diff very different levels. It's if you have people who are photographers, it becomes, it could either be great or it be, become, you know, like a, you know, they also want to say what they know, you know, to the group, which right. is fine. It's absolutely fine. But often that gets very technical. Sure. But I mean, I try to just tell them what I, um, what I feel. I mean, I don't feel like I'm there to, I mean, there's, n there's no promises. It's just this is me. If you're here, you probably might like my photography or just want to meet my wife. I don't know. <laughs> but, but we're here. And uh, the best I can do is just try to, in a very honest way, tell them what I think could help them take better pictures. Yeah. And, uh, and one lady, uh, and I, I thought that was great. She had a good time. She was from Holland. She came, she had, she said she had spent the whole winter, every Tuesday going to photography class. Wow. And then, with me for three days, she said she she uh, learned more in those three days because I told her how to shoot manually. Wow, incredible. So yeah. that's one thing I always do. I just say, like, you know, people are... A lot of people, even amateur photographers, people who love photography, they, they tend to rely too much on automatic. I mean, that sounds very amateurish probably to most photographers, but a lot of people do that. So just upping your game, I would say, one of the first things you have to do is take control from the gadget. You have to decide how the, the photograph is lit. Right. We could, of course, do, do some of that, a lot of that afterwards, mm -hmm. but um, there's no... A, a camera will always, an automatic a computer will always look for the kind of the average light. They will try to make mo most of the things in the picture as clear as possible. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's their job. Right. 
Meanwhile, I always say you have people think there's too many variables, but there, there is, there's not only one because you choose the ISO. If you're inside, you choose you set it. Outside, you set it. You don't need to think about that again. Speed again, unless you're shooting, you know, somebody running or you can just set that as something comfortable. Mm -hmm. So you're just playing with the uh, the f-stop, and the f-stop really would have been difficult when you were shooting on film, you don't know what you're doing. But right. now you just look at the screen, <laughs> right. a bit darker, yeah. a bit lighter. So there is nothing to it. Right. But it gives you power to, to, to compose the picture rather than just document it and then the, 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 the later on you'll have to deal with it. Right. And I always say to people, I shoot very much in low light. I'm a sucker for low light. Me too. And that means that some of the picture will be not that evident and that's fine. It doesn't have to be. Right. <laughs> so it's about just having a bit of confidence to shoot the picture you want rather than the, the, the picture the, the camera wants or you think that you should take. Right. No, I think that's a great piece of advice. Do you see any like common mistakes or, or is there something that you've been able to teach that like really ups Well, I think a lot of people wouldn't remove the Heineken t-shirt. I think that's <laughs> a common mistake. <laughs> I do think that's, that is so true. The, uh, to poach a pretentious term from cinema, the mise-en-scene, for example, yeah. just like... But a little bit, yeah. just a little bit of that. You need, you need to be in charge. Right. And uh, just get what you want, because you're, you're, you're the storyteller. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely one thing. I feel like you're really great at approaching and photographing people and getting the best out of them, whether it's a waiter coming to the table with a Negroni or a group of chefs. That's because I'm tall. I'm intimidating. <laughs> so <laughs> that's another helpful <laughs> advice. Um, no, but I, I, I mean, I don't like to start talking about something as if I'm teaching a ta Dale Carnegie uh, seminar. Right. <laughs> so I try to stay away from cliches. If I've said something once, I try to say something else the next time. But that's maybe is counterproductive mm. because. If you've said something good once to one group, maybe another group deserves to hear it. Right. And um, something I said once, at least, twice maybe, is, <laughs> is I think what I would like to do today with us, with this group today, is to, to, to demystify and denormalize. Mm. So this sounds like a real line, like I, you know, like I went through like a, like a layers of an advertising agency <laughs> <laughs> before it was kind of proved. No, but um, so denormalize, uh, demystify is, the, is what I was telling you earlier. Right. That there is no mystery to it. There is no like, like a lot of photographers today. They've suffered because you know the budgets are lower. There are many more good photographers out there because people have equipment. Right. Uh, you know, 50 years ago, you were a photographer if you just owned an expensive camera. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else <laughs> could take the picture. Completely. Now everybody can. So you, are, it's more competitive, and it's um, so um, it has been demystified up to a point. Right. People are still a little bit worried and maybe they think that if somebody has some assistance and a bit of you know lights going on, <laughs> maybe he's gonna take a better picture. But and that might sometimes be true. However, it's about demystifying just thinking that anybody can take a good picture. Yeah. It's a bit like the ratatouille, you know, the rat, anybody can cook. <laughs> like anybody really truly can take right. a good picture picture. And um, secondly because it's not painting. I'm, I'm very bad at drawing. <laughs> I could not draw a picture to save my life. You need a certain kind of skill set for that. Right. But in photography, you could take a good picture without being a good photographer. So there's the element of luck. It's there a bit like, that. you know, hunting. You right. could actually just shoot 
it's like into a bush and you get like a screen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hope it's the right sort of screen. Exactly. But uh, but in any case, that's yes. So that's removing that. But what I mean by denormalizing is that I always tell people try to take pictures that do not look like your mother's Facebook page. You know, why would you go on holiday to Florence with your with your boyfriend and take pictures? that you don't even want to look at when you come home. Right. You just take them, you're going through the motions, you know, you know nobody is, it's not photography. Right. It's just a documentation of something that, you know, you already know you were in Florida. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so why don't you try to take a picture that looks like it could have been in a magazine? Right. You know, uh, that's another thing I say too is, we're here in a restaurant. Let's say you're having a really good pasta dish and you get inspired and you are actually. You, are, you don't have to imagine, you're having right. a good I'm, I'm having a delicious I'm just one. eating it slowly because of the <laughs> sound. The taste. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to now take a spoon. Yeah, please. Mm. However, when you come home, if you decide to cook something similar, you will take inspiration from this. You will try your very best to cook something as close to this as you can. Yes. You won't come home and say, I'm going to just make a really bad pasta dish. Like I had a great pasta dish in Italy, and I'm going to come home and make something shit for my family <laughs> because it makes no sense. Right. But people look at magazines and they say, well, that's a beautiful photograph. Wow, that's incredible. See the light, Danny Libowitz, I can't believe. Then they take a picture of their family and they don't even try to go anywhere close to that. They just take a bad picture right? because the, it's not implemented in them to give the best shot. So that's another thing I say, give your best shot. Effort, putting more effort into it will get you better results, right. regardless of any kind of talent or experience. And what I mean by denormalize is, try to take a picture that has something foreign to it. Mm. You know, I tell the story of the 50 peaches, which is one peach is beautiful and 50 peaches are beautiful and seven are not, never beautiful. Uh, <laughs> and that's because, why is that? Because everybody has seven peaches at home in a bowl. Nobody wants to see a picture of seven peaches. One peach is minimalism. Right. You know, like you can cut it in with a knife, you see the pip in there, like maybe there's a leaf, yeah. and it can be like on a plate, very kind of austere. 50 peaches is abundance. We did this uh, TV show uh, for Canal Plus, and I was not shooting it, styling anything, and so they did the, the, um, the purchasing. And the recipe said three peaches or five peaches, and she bought the, the producer bought that. <laughs> and I said, don't realize when you're shooting Mimi, you want her to reach for a stack of peaches. That's dreamy. That's what makes people want to live in a farmhouse and cook this recipe because it's the abundance. Because nobody buys 50 peaches because nobody has enough people to, <laughs> to eat 50 right. peaches. So you have to have the 50 peaches or or one. Or Same is and this comes from graphic design as well. Like it's with the with the font size. Mm. The banal is kind of when, when there's too many font sizes on the page that are too comparable. Right. That's why like, you know, like a huge uh, capital letter, something big, something small, some, some uh, contrast. Right. Yes. So basically something you can't find at home. Yeah. I, I love that idea. <laughs> I love it. No, because I think, it's, I think it's something that's so simple that often goes overlooked. It's because of what is in the frame. It has less to do with the gear. It's yeah. how, what are you trying, what are you including or omitting from the frame? Do you have any uh, specific approach to post-processing? Yeah, how does that work? Or Can it you teach me? <laughs> 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 I have, 
<laughs> yes, I suppose I have. I, I, um, I try to shoot. I, I think, you know, yes, you know, I shoot everything raw. Mm -hmm. That gives me a chance to correct my mistakes when I open the file in Photoshop, you know, that, you know, you, right. you know, uh, exposure, you know, correct a little bit of your things, sure. you know, like highlights. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, I do very much the same thing to every picture, you know, like I, I, I correct the colors, maybe a lot the contrast, when you have the contrast, the color goes up, so you have to saturate a little bit, yep. very little, less and less. Yeah. Never any, I'm really very bad at, you know, luckily my wife is just beautiful, I don't have to do anything <laughs> to her face. No, but, um, no, I, I'm not fond of, of, you know, post-production as in manipulating or, you know, like, this is a good picture, but the kid's better in that picture, so let's move the head from that picture. Right. That, that. Like, I'm not very good at it, actually, but it's also because I've never shown any interest in it, you know. I like, you know, I, I mean, I will crop a little bit, but I never feel like every time I crop a picture, I feel like Cartier-Bresson is like, you're such a loser. What are you doing? Can't you take a good picture? <laughs> right. No, so I, I, I mean, I would crop maybe if the image is a little bit skewered and you need to adjust it, then sure. you need to crop a little bit. And um, I tend to maybe desaturate a little bit, but I don't, I think, I mean, you can't call things cheap tricks. People have styles, but when you right. have a filter or a, way of producing an image that makes it look like, you know, like it desaturated so much that it becomes interesting because of that, you right. know, it's, um, if you're leaning nothing wrong that. with it, like people ju can just do whatever they want, sure. you know, I just do minimal stuff. I'm kind of the same way, mainly because uh, I don't have the technical prowess and I hate being uh, on a computer, it feels I weird. think I would, I would say that I would, um, you, in, in, let's say you see, like, let's say you're sitting here and this is a corner table in the restaurant dear listener, <laughs> with a nice kind of texture in the back. And let's say you were sitting there having a glass of wine and looking out the window. And of course, what's behind you is going to be darker because the light's coming from, from where you're facing. Mm -hmm. Maybe when I'm taking the picture, I would like what's behind you to be even darker. But I can't make it happen because then you'll be too dark. Right. So I'll just shoot you like how you are. I know I can make what's already dark behind you even darker. That's a one stroke of the, you know, right. burn, or, or you select the area and you make it a bit darker. But it's, it's more about enhancing what's already there. I right, I, I think mean. so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, completely. Do you always carry your camera with you? No. No. I have phone? Yeah. No, I, I usually don't because uh, it's just such a... That, that's for practical reasons. I always have a dog. I carry my dog with me. <laughs> <laughs> right. So when you have... When you have um, <coughs> When you have a dog here, and some kids and stuff. Possibly, ancora due, due bicchieri di... Uh... Si, mi lascio due barracuda. Grazie. Grazie. Do you like Instagram, or do you sort of have a love-hate relationship with it? No, no, I have no hate relationship. But, um, <coughs> but I just don't feel... <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But, but I, never, I never feel obliged to post anything, or... Sometimes I find it a little bit, you know... I, no, it's, it's no problem, because sometimes I don't go on Instagram for three days. Right. It's not something I feel very strongly attached to. Yeah. But then, you know... But it is quite good. I enjoy some things. I enjoy getting good information. Mm -hmm. Enjoy seeing fun things other people are doing or... Right. You know... You even enjoy all the, you know, nonsense. Right. 
Like the funniest is, you know, these kind of career influencers mm -hmm. who are often women who have managed to get a certain amount of followers and usually all the pictures are of them. And it's, I understand if it's a fashion blog because they're actually showing up, but if they're just like a bikini, you know, here, oh, yeah, yeah. or drinking champagne, it's very odd. And you wonder who's following that. You know? Right. And you wonder why I saw that. What does it <laughs> say about me? <laughs> no, but... Why no, is this, <laughs> this suggested to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but you know what I mean. Like, yep. you know, like that's, that's very funny. It's funny to see how people use this medium to, to express whatever it is that they want to express. Like we, we use it, I mean, it is partially professional, I suppose, mm -hmm. because a lot of what we do derives or is connected with that. But at the same time, we don't treat it like a professional tool either. Like we haven't done anything on Instagram. That's a disaster. We have to do. Like it's not like that. Right. We just. So it's it's a very much a mix of personal and professional. Right. And whenever we want, or have something to say, or. Nice. You know, I always love your uh, weekly recaps after traveling or something with the wine book. Yeah, it's yeah, cool yeah. to see it. Yeah. No, I'd like that too. Only because it's it's like what really interested you in that week. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes you feel like. When people post too much, it's like, I think some people can post as much as they want, but uh, it, it's what's specific to them. But I, I sometimes feel like it's nice not to post too much, and then you put what you think is interesting. Right. So I, um, just before our main uh, second day comes, one of the things I would love to ask you about is your writing style, which is so unique and, and so captivating and so... Spelling mistakes and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I don't know. It's just uh, you and Mimi both are incredible writers. And was that, is that something that you both work on, or is that just without self-censoring yourselves, or how, how does that sort of come out of you? That I couldn't really explain. Yeah. No, but yes, English is not my first language, mm. but I like writing in English more than Icelandic. Certainly couldn't write in French, but I can speak it. Um, it would, if I wrote in French, it would be like a school essay of like a twelve-year-old boy, <laughs> no, ten-year-old boy. Right. <laughs> no, but um, but English, you know, it, I like like writing in English. You, know, you you have a little idea. There's a story somewhere, and it kind of writes itself a bit. Yeah. Couldn't really explain. There's no technique. Right. And it's very quick. When I have a deadline, something. When I've written things for Condinas Traveler in the past, I usually have a deadline and when that deadline is passed I ask for more time <laughs> and they know me so they give it yeah. and, you know and then when I really know I have no more where to go I will kind of lock myself up and just do the done thing very very quickly wow. and it just happens very quickly I just so but maybe I've been thinking about it a little bit before right but when it, the actual writing is very quick there's a there's a piece Mimi is a, not different you know we're both kind of the kind of kids in school who would always delay everything until you have nowhere to go. Right. <laughs> There's a piece on the uh, on Mimi's blog that I love that I, that you wrote, I believe, uh, about sitting in a in a little bistro, and it just starts. Imagine you're sitting in a bistro, a good one, and it's just it's just this beautiful little piece. I'm gonna link, I'll link it in the show notes for people okay. to read. But it's just it's just this fantastic little snapshot, but a written snapshot, almost in the way that you photograph. Yeah, that's that's maybe true. Like I suppose it's visual when I write because yeah. I try to get in the elements like from. The Perspective of photographer, maybe. I think I think that's sort of it 
first so questions. Do you, you want to ask me about grooming? Why I always look so perfectly? <laughs> why, why do you always look so perfect? No, I mean, I guess I, mean, I could uh, obviously... Sartorial, I mean, I look fantastic. <laughs> I can uh, continue on for sure. I I'm mean, joking, like, I'm joking. Yeah, no, I think it's good. I think do you good. think it's a good step? Yeah. I mean, the, the only last thing that I would maybe ask you just for my own personal interest is... Um, how do you think about uh, approaching a space in, in terms of storytelling? Like both of your properties are absolutely incredible. Well, yes, that, that's quickly answered because we both love um, spaces, houses. Always been very interested in, you know, beautiful things. Not necessarily expensive things. Mimi, you were with her on, on the market yeah. last Saturday and she bought two very beautiful pieces, a kind of a bronze, copper, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. like a little baking tray or... Something with an artichoke on top, I think it was 30 euros, but you could also buy it for 600 euros if you went to the store. Right. And a little dog, kind of fox terrier door stopper. I heard that was an unfortunate yeah, incident. Yeah, yeah, that my son broke immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, <laughs> but other than that, it was a very nice, you can you find things, you know, that are, are, have value to you or, you know, other people have overlooked. So it's not never about, you know, money or anything like that. But what, what's important is that you just have to. We try to create a space that we want to live in, right. and we want to live in a space with. Because of our job, we are shooting in our homes. We want them to look the way they should for, so they could be shot. Sure. And we never want to be. I know photographers, food photographers, who live in a, you know, minimalist space, kind of. And then they have one corner with what they call props. And they use right. words like props and food. We have no props or styling because it's just our house. Right. So the, if it's styling, it's then it's then the whole life is styling. It's much more honest to just buy something you want to eat with, and if you shoot food, you shoot it on that. For sure. So, I mean, I think even if I wasn't taking any pictures, the house would still look like that. It's just about wanting to create something that is pleasing on the eye. Absolutely. Is it no, nothing else? Right. Yeah. Is there anything else you feel like you want to talk about or that we missed or that cheers. I'm not asking? Let's just say cheers. Cheers. Cheers, dear listener. I hope you uh, <laughs> are enjoying some champagne. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry for you after listening to this and I uh, should definitely get a drink if you didn't already. Right, maybe maybe something stronger like a Negroni or maybe a Martini or whiskey, something. Whiskey, I think, yes. would be a suitable. <laughs> Probably so. Good whiskey. Yeah, can't go wrong. Thank you. Thank you.